Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 40, The Reign of Elizabeth I, Part 1. Last week, we followed the reigns of Catherine, wife of Peter the Great, Anna, daughter of Alexis, and Ivan VI, son of Prince Antony Ulrich of Brunswick-Lundberg and Duchess Anna Leopoldovna of Mecklenburg. Elizabeth, who was the last remaining child of Peter and Catherine I, overthrew Ivan and took control of the Russian Empire. Now, before I get into the life and times of Elizabeth, I want to talk about young Ivan, who may have had the saddest life I've come across in all my history readings. To say he led a tragic life is to vastly understate things. On October 5, 1740, Empress Anna, Ivan's great aunt, had the now eight-week-old boy named her successor with Ernst Byron to serve as regent. She was on her deathbed, and she felt secure in knowing that her wishes would be carried out. Weeks later, though, after the Empress's death, Byron was arrested and the power switched to Andre Osterman, who took over the regency and became the real power in Russia. Thirteen months later, as we mentioned last week, Elizabeth staged a coup and removed Osterman and Ivan. The boy was a threat to Elizabeth, but she was not inclined to execute the child, as she was firmly against executions, as no one would have a death warrant signed against them throughout her 20-plus years reign. The boy and his family were incarcerated in the fortress at Daugavgiriva in the north in what is now known as Latvia. Two years later, Following the Lupkahina affair, Ivan and his family was transferred to Kolmogori in the White Sea in the far north. Kolmogori was a desolate place far from the centers of power. Ivan's mother, Anna Leopoldovna, died in 1746, just two years after arriving there. The rest of the family was sent back to Courland, and young Ivan was now only allowed to see his jailer no other human contact was allowed. To top things off, none of the jailers or others in the fortress were told who the prisoner they were guarding was. Elizabeth ordered any record of him, whether in coins, written, or painted, to be destroyed. He was an unnamed individual, but rumors began to circulate that he was indeed Ivan, which concerned the Empress. Elizabeth had him removed from Kolmogori to a fortress in the town of Schisselberg. The prison would be the place where many a political prisoner would be kept during the era of Imperial Russia. Ivan was sent there and again kept isolated, slowly losing his sense of reality. The boy saw no one except his jailers until Peter III became Tsar. Peter visited the young man and would have likely released him had he not lost his throne to Catherine II. She, though, knew that Ivan could be a serious threat to her, so she increased the seclusion, and an order, which was initially given by Elizabeth and later confirmed by Catherine, to the effect that if there were any attempt on freeing him, he was to be killed immediately. Soon, a jailer by the name of Vasily Mirovich found out who the unnamed prisoner was and plotted to free him and declare him emperor. Another officer named Chekin, finding out about the plot, followed through on the order to kill Ivan. He was quickly buried, 
Mirovich, and all his accomplices were also executed. Ivan VI had lived an incredibly tortured life, so the end could almost be seen as a blessing for him. Now back to the reign of Elizabeth. Elizaveta Petrovna was born on December 29, 1709. Her mother, as we said before, was Catherine I, and of course her father was Peter the Great. At the time of her birth, though, many in Russia considered her illegitimate, as her mother and father only married in the church in 1712. This issue was used a number of times to deny her the right to ascend to the throne. She was one of only two children out of twelve of Catherine's to survive childhood, along with her sister Anna. Early on, Peter tried to marry his much-beloved daughter to the young French prince who was to become King Louis XV, but was rebuffed. He settled for Prince Karl Augustus of Holstein-Gottrop, who unfortunately died just days after the betrothal. Unfortunately, due to circumstances, Elizabeth was to never have the pleasure of marriage throughout her life. As a child and young woman, Elizabeth was very much her father's daughter. Bright, yet impetuous, she was very smart, but not terribly well-educated. Her father had no time to oversee her education, and her mother was hardly capable of being functionally illiterate. Still, Elizabeth was fluent in four languages, Russian, French, German, and Italian. Much of her years were spent enjoying the luxurious life as Peter the Great's daughter. When Alexander Menshikov was taken down, arrested, and banished by Peter II, with the help of the Dolgeruki family, Elizabeth's one protector was gone, as the Dolgerukis despised the changes of Peter the Great, and hence they hated his daughter. She was effectively banished from the court, which continued under the reign of Empress Anna. After Anna's death, Elizabeth began to plot her return to the court, as she knew that with time she would eventually become a threat, and that would not be a healthy situation. She began to court the two groups that were always loyal to her father, the Semyonovsky and the Priobrazhensky regiments. She would serve as godmother to many of the soldiers' children, visit them at special occasions, and generally befriend them whenever possible. Then, on the night of November 25, 1741, she went to the regimental headquarters and asked the men who, who should lead Russia, her or the German thieves who were in power. There was no real choice for the men, so they joined together and went to the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg, and in a bloodless coup, they arrested young Ivan VI and his family. At that time, Elizabeth swore that with her ascension to her rightful place as empress, no one would be executed by her order during her reign, something that she would keep true to for all twenty years and thirty days she was to lead Russia. This single gesture was to make her much loved by the people. Immediately after taking control of the government, she began to purge the hierarchy of the Germans in power. She exiled Ostermann, von Munich, and Lohenwald. Within a year of her crowning herself as Empress in April of 1742, she reinstituted the Senate to help run the ever-expanding empire. Their first order of business was to deal with the still pesky Swedes. So on August 7, 1743, 
the Treaty of Abo was signed, which effectively ceded the southern part of Finland to Russia. The man credited with this major diplomatic triumph was Alexei Petrovich Estuzev Rayumin, a brilliant man. He was the vice-chancellor and was very anti-French and Prussian. In his mind, the alliance that was in the best interest of Russia was one with Austria and Great Britain, whom he considered to be natural allies. Because of his work, Russia was effectively able to take control of Poland, as well as keeping the Turks at bay. Bestuzev was to be Elizabeth's trusted aide for 16 of her 20-year reign, until his mysterious fall from grace in 1758, which has never been successfully explained. Imagination would suggest French and Swedish influence in the Empress's court, and the fact that Bestuzev had built up kind of a large line of enemies over the years. Now, due to Elizabeth lacking a husband and not having a child to be her heir, and the unfortunate fact that Ivan VI was still alive, the Empress needed to find someone to follow her. Her choice was her nephew, Peter of Holstein-Gottorp, son of Duke Ferdinand and Anna Petrovna, one of Peter the Great's daughters. Young Peter was an orphan, as his mother died just weeks after giving birth, and his father died when he was eleven. Elizabeth brought him to St. Petersburg in 1742 and promptly had him baptized into the Orthodox religion. Furthermore, she needed to marry him off so that he could have a child to solidify the Romanov line of succession. Her choice for a bride in 1745 was to have monumental consequences for Russia. The woman the Empress chose was Princess Sophia of Anhalt-Zerbst, who would be baptized in the Russian Orthodox Church as Ekaterina Alexeyevna. This is the person who would be known to history as Catherine the Great. When their son Paul was born in 1754, Elizabeth basically took the boy away from the couple, as neither really wanted to be a parent. The Empress wanted to raise the boy to become another Peter the Great. What a disappointment that was to become. Within Elizabeth's court of the day, the opulence was extraordinary, continuing the incredible spending habits of Empress Anna. The parties were more lavish as the years progressed, and the building of palaces, museums, concert halls to hold these parties continued unabated throughout her reign. The size of her wardrobe was legendary. Some estimates claim that she had over 10,000 dresses with thousands of shoes and other accessories. Elizabeth was draining the treasury in a manner much, very much unlike her father, who was always much more frugal personally. It is this behavior which, as I mentioned last week, began the distancing of the Romanovs from the common people that was to lead to the overthrow of Nicholas II in 1917. In the past, the Tsars up to, and including Peter, had some connection to the people. They, while not shy of taking in some of the riches to embellish their own lives, could be seen as much more approachable and suffered at times with the people. They would lead armies to defeat common enemies of Russia. 
But this breed of leaders, the new ones, would shy away from that and instead send proxies to fight their battles. This is not to say that this wasn't the norm in Europe, as many of their contemporary rulers were very much the same. But it was a breakthrough, a break through the traditions of Russian Tsars, something that the norm-breaking Peter the Great I don't think would have welcomed. Next week, we return to the reign of Elizabeth as she leads her country through the War of the Austrian Succession and the Seven-Year War. Then we follow the ascension of her nephew, Peter III, along with his overthrow and murder, and the crowning of Catherine the Great. Now for this week in Russian history for the week of March 6th through the 12th. In 1415, Vasily II, Grand Prince of Moscow, known for being involved in the greatest civil war of old Russia, is born. In 1629, Tsar Alexis I of Russia is born. In 1801, Paul I, Russian Tsar, is also born. In 1869, Dmitry Mendeleev presents the first periodic table to the Russian Chemical Society. In 1890, Vyacheslav Molotov, a Soviet politician, is born. In 1917, International Women's Day protests in St. Petersburg contributed to the February Revolution and ultimately led to the abdication of Tsar Nicholas II. In 1918, Moscow becomes the capital of Russia again, after St. Petersburg held this status for 215 years. In 1934, Yuri Gagarin, Soviet cosmonaut and the first human in space, is born. In 1940, as part of the Winter War, Finland signs the Moscow Peace Treaty with the Soviet Union, ceding almost all of Finnish Karelia. Finnish troops and the remaining population are immediately evacuated. In 1953, Grigory Maksimilianovich Malenkov succeeds Joseph Stalin as Premier of the Soviet Union and First Secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. In 1967, Joseph Stalin's daughter, Svetlana Aleluyeva, defects to the United States. In 1985, Mikhail Gorbachev became the Soviet Union's leader. And in 1990, Lithuania declared herself independent from the Soviet Union. Now, as a side note, if you're a Russian Rulers History Facebook friend, you may notice my uploading of some pictures of Russia from around the early 20th century. These are pictures from my family's archives, which I have come across recently. Please enjoy them and make comments where appropriate. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're so inclined, please download the Russian Rulers iPhone app. Please visit the website at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend so you can leave a comment, make a suggestion, ask a question. So, thank you for listening, and das vidanya, i spasiba bolshoya.